guys. I'm Ray Bella, and this is Words for Granted, a podcast that looks at how words change over time. Today's episode is brought to you by Audible, the world's leading provider of expertly performed audiobooks. Audible has a selection of over 180,000 titles for you to choose from, and you can listen anytime, anywhere. If you like reading fiction, Audible has a book for you. If you like reading science, Audible has a book for you too. If you like reading poetry, politics, or anything at all, Audible has a book for you. If you sign up at audibletrial.com slash wordsforgranted, you'll get one month free. And not only that, but you'll be supporting the show. Everybody wins. You can find a link to the trial in the show notes for today's episode, and I hope you sign up today. Before we get started, I'd like to clarify something from last week's episode on handicap. Let me say this loud and clear. I did not mean to imply that everyone who uses the word handicap is immediately a categorical bigot. That was far from my intention. My intention was to bring awareness to the topic of political correctness from a historical linguistic point of view, and I thought that the word handicap would serve as a good entry point into this controversial topic because unlike, say, the N-word or other racial slurs, the historical condescension of handicap isn't very well known. However, what I failed to mention is that political correctness is, and always will be, a messy business. There's no denying that it can be fickle, trendy, and impossible to keep up with, even for those of us who are trying to do and say the right thing. My own personal belief is simple. I think we should refer to groups of people, especially socially marginalized groups of people, by whatever name they themselves wish to be identified. With regards to people with disabilities, the word handicap seems to be falling out of favor. That's really all I was trying to say with last week's episode. But to any of you who took what I said the wrong way, I apologize. I'm not trying to perpetuate negativity here. My goal is to promote linguistic awareness and to cultivate a better understanding of the words we use every day. That's it. I come in peace. I promise. Okay, with that off my chest, let's get on to today's episode. Amateurs get a bad name. Today, we use the word amateur to describe a person who is inept or inexperienced at a particular skill. Amateur is the opposite of professional, and for all intents and purposes, it's a useful dichotomy for us to have. Professionalism comes with a certain promise of quality, while amateurism does not. But maybe we're not giving amateurs enough credit. Though amateur usually has a negative connotation suggesting ineptitude or inexperience, this isn't always the case. This negative connotation makes it easy to forget that amateur can also refer to someone who engages in a pursuit on an unpaid basis simply because he or she loves it. For instance, someone who meticulously maintains a vegetable garden in his or her backyard is an amateur farmer, and someone who comes home from work and practices the drums an hour a day is an amateur drummer. When we apply the word amateur to the people in these scenarios, the word doesn't necessarily suggest a lack of skill. 
For all we know, this amateur farmer might actually have the agricultural wherewithal to maintain an entire greenhouse, and this amateur drummer might actually have the musicianship to play in the pit for a Broadway play. Here, the distinction between professionals and amateurs is not a matter of aptitude or experience, but rather of income, and more specifically, their source of income. Professionals make a living off their craft, while amateurs do not. It's that simple. Amateurs don't do what they do because they get paid to do it. They do what they do because they love it. The sense of the word pertaining to love is most in line with amateurs' original meaning. Amateur first entered English during the 18th century via French, and the French word amateur ultimately comes from the Latin word amor, which means love. A literal translation of the original French word amateur is lover of, or one who loves. In just under a century, however, the meaning of amateur had shifted to the more narrow sense of the word familiar to us today, that is, the opposite of professional. With the very clear emergence of the professional-amateur dichotomy in the 19th century, Amateur lost much of its innocence as a word associated primarily with love and instead acquired a negative association with naive inexperience. I think it's time for us to dig into some history and find out why. The direct linguistic connection between love and amateur isn't obvious in English because love and amateur come from two different root words. Love is derived from love, the Germanic root word for love, while amateur, as I already mentioned, comes from amor, the Latin root word for love. It's worth noting that modern Romance languages such as Spanish, Italian, and French all retain this root word in Amor, amore, and amor, respectively. All of these words mean love. When amateur first came into English as a noun, it retained this romantic sense as well, pun very much intended. Like the French word from which it came, it simply meant lover or one who loves. Let's look at two examples of how the word originally was used in English. The first is from a 1784 publication called The European Magazine. Quote, the president was left with his train of amateurs. End quote. And the second is from an 1863 novel called Tartar Steps. Quote, I am no amateur of those melons. End quote. In these examples, it's pretty clear that amateur means something more like admirer, or lover. The revised sentences, the president was left with his admirers, and I am no lover of those melons, make far more sense to the modern ear, though I must say, I am no amateur of those melons, is still a great sentence, even if it makes no sense. Based on its usages in these examples, you couldn't spin a negative connotation out of amateur if you tried. Allusions to the professional-amateur dichotomy are nowhere in sight. However, by the late 19th century, the sense of the word meaning lover had begun to decline. 
Its newly emerging meaning was someone who pursues something on an unpaid basis and that still exists as the word's foundational sense today. The connection between the old and new meanings is pretty clear to see. If someone is doing something on an unpaid basis, presumably he or she is doing it out of love. But take a closer look at the implication of this semantic shift. Amateurs' primary emphasis, love, was reassigned to income, or more accurately, the lack thereof. Eventually, the reassignment of this emphasis would lead to the negative connotation of the word that we're so familiar with. Consider this very modern-sounding passage from Thomas de Quincey's 1827 essay on murder considered as one of the fine arts. Quote, We are not amateurs, gentlemen, but professionals. End quote. Well, there's nothing elusive about it. Here, we have in writing a dichotomy drawn directly between professionals and amateurs. Actually, this quote predates the one I read from Tartar Steps, and this suggests that there was a window of time from the early to mid-19th century during which both the new and old meanings of the word coexisted side by side. So, if amateur simultaneously meant lover and unprofessional in the 19th century, why did the latter sense of the word prevail as its predominant meaning? The answer lies in shifting cultural values. By the 18th century, capitalism had firmly asserted itself as the predominant economic system in Western Europe. If you've listened to the Words for Granted episode on the word comfort, then you've already heard me talk about how a nation's economy can impact its cultural values, which then impact the meaning of words. I'm not going to reiterate an entire episode's worth of information here, but in short, the initial sense of the word comfort referred to spiritual consolation, but as luxury goods became more widely available thanks to newly emerging industries, the word comfort was adapted to describe material goods that could be bought and sold. My hypothesis is that capitalism is responsible for shaping the connotation of amateur as well, but from a different perspective. Following the massive influx of jobs created by the Industrial Revolution, a sharper distinction began to emerge between pursuits driven by love and those driven by financial gain. Capitalism was, and still is, more than just an economic system. It is a set of cultural values, and according to those cultural values, the best thing someone can do with his or her life is to go out into the world as a professional and make a profit. As a result of this newly emerging paradigm, a person's amateur ambitions would have been seen as less important or less valuable than his or her professional ambitions. At the beginning of this episode, I said that the professional-amateur dichotomy is a useful one for us to have, but you know what? I take it back. Maybe it isn't. When it comes to the opposite of professional, isn't unprofessional a better word? It's more to the point, and the word itself doesn't have any of the nuanced connotations that amateur does. Unprofessional, of course, is a word, and it is the opposite of professional, 
But why do we still cling to amateur as if we need it for reinforcement in this dichotomy? This, of course, is just a rhetorical question. We can't retroactively control the way in which words evolve, but if we could, wouldn't it be better to have left amateur alone? Amateur. Simply a lover of something. We don't really have an equivalent of this in modern English. We have words like connoisseur, aficionado, admirer, and of course, lover, but all of these words have specific connotations that elaborate upon the simplicity of a lover of something. Sure, amateur does retain an aspect of this original meaning today, but by and large, its connotation has been tainted by the professional amateur dichotomy that we've been talking about. Amateurs have been permanently redefined as second rank. Since the professional amateur dichotomy is at the heart of today's episode, I think we should spend a moment considering the etymology of the word professional as well. If we approach it from the right angle, I think it will reinforce everything that we've learned about the evolution of amateur, but from the other side of the coin. Today, professional means engaged in a specific activity as one's main paid occupation, but this career-oriented sense of the word is relatively new. According to the Oxford English Dictionary, it only came into usage during the mid-18th century. Before that, the word professional referred to vows taken by members of the church. A bit of etymology and historical context can show us why. Professional is ultimately derived from the Latin word profiteri, a verb comprising two roots, pro, meaning forward or forth, and fateri, meaning to confess or to acknowledge. In Latin, profiteri meant to declare something publicly, but by the time the word came into Middle English as the verb to profess, it took on a more specialized sense meaning to publicly declare one's vows to the church. The vow was called a profession, and someone who made a profession was a professor. Generally speaking, you might describe these things as professional. So how did these words in the professional family tree lose their association with the church? Well, the Cultural Revolution of the Renaissance reinvigorated an interest in classical academia. Consequentially, the meanings of many Latin-derived words that had been influenced by the church were replaced with their older classical meanings, and this trend seems to have affected the meaning of profess. In the early 16th century, profess once again meant to declare something publicly, which directly echoes its original Latin meaning. The reclaiming of this Latin meaning probably popularized the sense of the word professor that meant an expert teacher who publicly declares his knowledge. Following in this suit, by the 17th century, profession came to mean any occupation that involved a set of learned skills, and of course someone would learn these skills from a professor. The sense of the word professional, meaning someone who uses his or her skills to make a living, appears a little bit later in the 18th century. While, in hindsight, the words profession and professional seem destined to become career-oriented, which is to say, income-oriented, income was not the original semantic emphasis of the word. 
The original semantic emphasis of the word was the acquisition of skills. Compare this to what we've discussed about the development of amateur. The lack of income was not its original semantic emphasis either, yet both amateur and professional gradually co-evolved into a dichotomy delineated by income. The simultaneous polarization of these two terms is too much of a coincidence for us to brush off. The meanings of both amateur and professional were reinvented to conform to the shifting worldviews influenced by values inherent to a capitalist society. You don't need to be an economic historian to understand the semantics of the aftermath. The status of paid professionals has been elevated, while the status of unpaid amateurs has been diminished. Alright, that's it for this one, guys. Don't forget to follow Words for Granted on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. If you know someone who might enjoy the podcast, don't keep it a secret. And if you enjoy the show, I ask that you leave a positive review on iTunes. It's not because I want you to tell me how great I am. It's because positive reviews are how more people become aware of the show. And I don't know about you, but I want the Words for Granted community to keep on growing. If you have questions, comments, or concerns about the show, feel free to email me as always at wordsforgranted at gmail.com. If you'd like to support the show directly, you can do so via Patreon. Patreon is a free crowdfunding service that allows independent creators to get their work out into the world. You can head over to my website, wordsforgranted.com, to find out more. After we reach the first $100 mark, I'll be posting exclusive content available only to contributors. I'd like to thank listeners Jane and Robbie for their recent contributions to the show. Okay, I'll see you next time here at Words for Granted.